You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Today on the Useless Information Retrocast, you'll hear stories about a real live baby being auctioned off, and I'm not exaggerating there. And then there's a story of a carnival knife thrower who accidentally hit his human target. And how about a West Virginia dog warden who came up with an incredibly unique approach to keep thieves out of his dog pound? I'm Steve Silverman, and all those stories and much more are coming up next on the Useless Information Retrocast. Useless Information So when I was a kid, our local grocer awarded customers with S&H green stamps. Basically, the more we spent, the more stamps we received. Then, being kids, when we get home, we'd lick the stamps and we'd place them on the pages of our official S&H green stamp booklet. And once we filled one or more booklets, we could then exchange those stamps for supposedly valuable merchandise. While S&H may have been the largest of these loyalty programs, they were far from alone. A similar loyalty program called Red Arrow Auction existed for a short period of time during the 1930s, and that's the subject of this story. Now, Red Arrow took a slightly different approach to the loyalty program. Like trading stamps, retailers who participated in the program would reward their customers with Red Arrow money, not stamps. And then that money could be used to bid on various items in the monthly Red Arrow Auction. But there was public outrage when Red Arrow placed an ad in the May 5th, 1930 publication of the Maslin Evening Independent. And by the way, Maslin is in Ohio. It read, quote, Live baby to be sold at auction. Bid for the baby with Red Arrow money. Who will become the proud owner of the baby? And here's some more of the ad, quote, The baby is not an orphan and we have full permission to dispose of it, providing it goes to some good family of the city or community. No adoption papers will be necessary as we have arranged to give legal title to the baby. If you know of some reputable family in need of a nice, healthy baby, tell them about this big red arrow feature or buy the baby and present it to them. The baby with a nurse in charge will appear at the next red arrow auction on Wednesday, May 28th. The baby will be sold in open bidding at the close of the regular Red Arrow auction. The sale of the baby is not contrary to the United States Constitution, nor in opposition to the high principles of your humane society. What is the joke? There will be fun at this auction. Be there. Announcement will be made next week of an interesting contest in connection with the live baby auction. Watch for it. 
Well, readers didn't need to wait that long. That's because three days later, an ad describing the contest appeared in the paper. It read, quote, What does the baby look like? A $10 gold piece will be given to the person who writes the most interesting letter describing the baby. Use your imagination and tell us what you think the baby will look like. A blonde, a brunette, male or female? How old? Give a full description of the baby as your mind pictures it to you. The advertisement then continues, facts to remember. One, the baby will be brought to the Red Arrow auction. Two, the baby will be sold in open auction after the regular Red Arrow auction. Three, the baby will be sold for Red Arrow money. As the May 28th auction approached, the citizens of Maslin pleaded with Police Chief E.M. Erton to bring a halt to the auction. So he questioned those in charge of the event, but they had pledged secrecy among themselves and they refused to provide any details as to what was about to happen. So two officers were stationed at the theater with orders to step in if there was any attempt to auction off a real live baby. No one knew what was going to happen, but the controversial baby auction managed to pull in the largest crowd of any that had previously attended one of the Maslin Red Arrow auctions. Let the bidding begin. There was frenzy bidding on just about every single item. And since no one was using real money, you know, they were using Red Arrow dollars instead, the bidders lost all sense of value. For example, a pair of silk pantyhose valued at $1.65, which is about $28 today, it sold for $55.90 in Red Arrow dollars. And then there was a telephone stand and chair valued at $13.50 that sold for 350 Red Arrow dollars. In total, more than 150 different items were sold. It was also announced that Mrs. Margaret Bates was the winner of the baby letter writing contest and she was awarded the $10, which is about $170 today. But there really was only one reason why so many people were there. They wanted to see the live baby auction. So first the baby was brought onto the stage and then taken right back off, just to kind of give a little tease. Next, a crib holding the little one wrapped in blankets was placed on the stage, and the baby remained quiet as the auction proceeded. It was reported in the press that the bidding was slow, but ultimately Mrs. Helen Wood of Oak Avenue Southeast won with her bid of 250 Red Arrow dollars. Now, I should point out there were 39 other items that were sold that day that sold for more Red Arrow dollars than that baby did. Mrs. Wood then went up on the stage to claim the baby that she had just won. As she peeped into the crib, she got the shock of her life. That's because the baby that was sleeping there was a 25-pound or 11.3-kilogram baby pig. When Mrs. Doreen Peterson Hamby arrived in Los Angeles aboard a freight train in February of 1936, she was immediately thrown in jail for several days because she had evaded paying a railroad fare the previous December. Well, upon her release, she obtained a job with a carnival in nearby Inglewood, and her job was quite simple. All she had to do was stand in front of a large board and remain perfectly still. Well, it wasn't quite that simple. You see, she had to stand there while a knife thrower flung 36 sharp knives all around her torso. But Doreen took it all in stride as knife after knife came toward her. 
Then suddenly the seventh knife hit a rail surrounding the board, ricocheted off, and it landed right in her leg. Ever the professional, Doreen went on with the show. Even though she was in great pain, she simply gritted her teeth and she completed the act. Then, when the curtain went down, she collapsed to the ground. So Doreen was taken to the Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, which, by the way, is now the site of the Staples Center in Los Angeles, and while she was in the hospital, the wound was closed up with three stitches. She was released and returned to her home at 1323 South Hill Street, which is about five blocks from where the hospital once stood. But, as they say, the show must go on. The very next night, her wound was bandaged up and she once again stood motionless as the knife thrower tossed more sharp cutlery at her. In February 1960, Wheeling, West Virginia dog warden William Custer was faced with a significant challenge. You see, twice in one month, someone had gotten into the pound overnight and unlocked all of the cages. It was during that second invasion that 16 dogs were able to escape to freedom. But not only that, but whoever released the pooches also stole seven bags containing 175 pounds, or 79.3 kilograms, of dog food. Needless to say, Custer was not happy and decided to make his last stand. He was going to make sure that no one released those four-legged pooches again. What Custer needed was a strong deterrent. You know, something so powerful that it would scare away anyone who tried to break into the pound. And Custer had the perfect guard in mind. It was one that was capable of seeing in the dark while the facility was left unguarded. He assigned the night watch duties to what he described as, quote, a pretty good sentry. That was his pet lion cub. He then placed an advertisement in the local Sunday newspaper warning that his lion would be on duty until that pooch pilfering stopped. And not long after that, the story was picked up by the national press and pictures of Custer and his lion were in newspapers all across the nation. It worked, although no one ever bothered to check if the lion really was guarding the dogs. You know, just the thought of being attacked by a lion was enough to scare off any would-be intruder. By the end of the year, however, Custer was forced to get rid of the lion. It turns out it was simply costing him too much to keep his pet. So here's a question for you. Just how many butterfly species are there in the world? Now, I doubt that anyone knows the exact answer, but just, you know, make an estimate. And I will tell you this, it was far more than I had ever realized. Well, hang around for a bit and I'll let you know the answer at the end of this podcast. The makers of Old Nick. Old Nick. Oh, boy, Old Nick is a wonderful candy bar. And bit of honey. Bit of honey? It's a honey, honey, honey of a candy bar. Presents David Harding, Counter Spy. Washington calling David Harding, Counter Spy. Washington calling David Harding, counter-spy. Harding, counter-spy, calling Washington.
Before we begin today's counter-spy case, Sally, let's try another experiment in psychology with a bit of honey candy bar. Like the one they reported in Life magazine a while back when yeah. we did mental telepathy for old Nick? Yes, except today, just for fun, let's try conditioned reaction. Jesse Crawford will help us. And uh, now, the in the bit of honey song, these four notes stand for the words bit of honey. Those notes are a musical symbol for the words bit of honey. In a few seconds, our listeners will find that little tune brings the same sense of delicious satisfaction that is now produced by the word bit of honey. Okay, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, is always fine, but especially in the summertime. You see, has a distinctive mild honey flavor sprinkled all through. Our crunchy crushed almonds, the separate wrapping of the six generous pieces in a... Candy bar makes it extra easy and convenient to eat in summertime. What's more, the unusual zesty flavor of candy bar is especially appropriate this warm weather. Try For yourself, wherever fine candy is sold, ask for candy bar this evening if you can. You'll agree that, yes, bitter honey is a honey, honey, honey of a candy bar. And only five cents. That commercial for Bitter Honey is from the July 28th, 1946 broadcast of, as you heard, David Harding Counterspy. This particular episode was titled The Stolen Car Racketeers. Now, the show aired on both the NBC Blue Network, which later became ABC, and the Mutual Network from May 18th, 1942 to November 29th of 1957. Now, the main character, Harding, was the chief of the fictional United States agency called Counter Spies. And during World War II, the series focused on counterintelligence against the Axis powers, you know, Japan and Germany. But when the war was over, the writers needed a new villain, so the stories became more focused on the Cold War. And then eventually the series morphed into stories focused on solving crimes right here in the good old United States. As for Bitter Honey Candy, it was first introduced by the Shooter Johnson Company of Chicago, Illinois in 1924. The candy was unique in that it consisted of roasted almond bits embedded in a honey-flavored taffy, and that made for a treat that one could chew far longer than the typical candy bar. The large bar that they initially marketed consisted of six pieces that could easily be broken off and individually eaten. But most people today, however, are more familiar with the bite-sized version of the candy, and you mostly see that around Halloween. When World War II ended, Shooter Johnson saw its sales plummet, so the company was merged with the Ward Candy Company, who were the makers of candy favorites like Chunky O'Henry and my favorite, which is Raisinets. And the company changed hands over the years, and it's currently part of the Spangler Candy Company. They're the makers of Dum Dums, Smarties, Whistle Pops, NECA Wafers, and Sweethearts. You know, Sweethearts, those are the Valentine's Day candy hearts, you know, with the little phrases on them. My students would always exchange those on Valentine's Day. So we're going to take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors, but when we return, I'll have more true stories plus the answer to the question of the day for you. So I'll see you on the flip side. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. So now it's time for Footnotes History. These are short little stories, little true stories, that there's really no further uh, research to be done on them. I'm going to read them word for word as they were printed in the papers years ago. Now, all the stories I've chosen for you today all have the same thing in common. They have something to do with theft. And our first story is dated February 6th of 1933. The headline is Bandit Steals Golden Smile. The subheadline is Robber Grabs Bridge Work as Service Station Man Laughs at Slim Hall. Phoenix, Arizona, February 6th, Associated Press. Robert Harrison's pleasant smile, which revealed four glittering front teeth of gold, proved his downfall. Today, Harrison, a service station employee, meditates sorrowfully because a robber, disgruntled over obtaining only $5 in cash, noticed his victim's gleaming bridge work. Grabbing a pair of pliers, the intruder pulled the four teeth. Ouch, holy cow. The story is dated June 9th of 1936 and is titled Coughs Up Roll, Buffalo. Robert Ford, 42, recuperated today from an operation for a skull fracture. Emergency hospital physicians all recuperated from shock and amazement when Ford coughed up a hefty roll of $11 after regaining consciousness following the operation. Ford, police said, was attacked. They believe the injured man feared robbery and swallowed the money. This next story is from May 9th of 1952 and is titled Grab Pants Said Sign, Taylor Taken at Word. Toronto, May 9th. Abraham Goody hung a big sign outside his Yon Street pants shop. It read, quote, Come in and grab yourself a pair of pants. Today, two men took him at his word. They forced Goody into the rear of his shop, taped his mouth, tied him up, and escaped with about a hundred pair of pants and $75 from the till. Next up, we have a story from March 30th of 1959 that took place in Mount Vernon, Illinois. 
The headline reads, Unusual Theft Here. Four guinea pigs are taken. An unusual theft was reported to Mount Vernon Police Saturday. William R. Munshower of 1116 South 13th told police that someone stole four guinea pigs from a pen in his backyard. The animals are valued at $30, he said. That's about $290 today. Those are expensive guinea pigs. And our last short story for today is dated June 18th of 1974, and the title is simple, Unusual Theft, Dallas Associated Press. The thief who stole a tape recorder and several tapes from the car of Francis Andrews is in for a surprise. The only sounds recorded on the tapes are heart sounds. Andrews, 42, was working at the Veterans Administration Hospital when someone broke into his car and stole the tapes. Also lifted was a digital heart sound scope he invented and values at $25,000. Adjusted for inflation, that's more than $142,000 today. So earlier in the podcast, I'd asked you how many butterfly species there were on Earth. And I told you I was surprised by the answer. Estimates vary, but it's believed to be somewhere between 17,500 and 18,500 species of butterfly. Now, butterflies live all over the Earth, everywhere except Antarctica. And honestly, I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to live there either. Although I must admit, I was seriously considering studying glaciers there when I was in college. Now, personally, I think that butterflies are among the most beautiful living things on Earth. I'm not kidding there. But I definitely see far less of them today than I did when I was younger. I remember being a kid and seeing monarch butterflies in great numbers at my grandparents' summer place in the Catskills. But today, I rarely see any kind of butterfly. I don't know if that's due to my location. That's uh, because I live about two hours from where their bungalow was. But it could be due to pesticides, disease, climate change, or who knows what. Now, my wife, Mary Jane, who's not on the podcast today because she's getting over a bad cold, she collected milkweed seeds this past fall, and she's planning on planting them all around our property. Her goal is to provide a small habitat for the monarch butterflies, and honestly, it would be nice to see them once again near our house. Well, that brings another retrocast to a close, and I do hope to be back in a couple of weeks with the next podcast. And honestly, I haven't picked out the next story yet. Uh, I have two really good ones I'm working on. But, you know, whenever I do research, I never know if I'll be able to pull together the whole story. But I'll decide shortly what the next podcast will be, and then I'll record it. Now, I had mentioned this in the last retrocast, but if you enjoy this podcast, please tell someone else who you think may also enjoy it. You know, that could be a relative, a colleague, a classmate. You can create a post or add to a thread on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever. Just let them know about a favorite episode, the podcast itself, or whatever seems appropriate to you. You know, Doing so will help bring new listeners to the podcast, so I'm very thankful for anything that you do to help the show grow. Anyway, if you'd like to contact me about this episode, the podcast itself, the website, or whatever, please do so through my email. It's steve at uselessinformation.org. That's steve at uselessinformation.org. You can use Facebook Messenger, or you can use the contact form on my website. Anyway, thanks as always for listening, and take care, everyone. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.